Virginia lawmaker seeks to make child sacrifice easier. Nothing screams nasty woman quite like Virginia lawmaker Kathy Tran's cold-blooded and thankfully defeated bill that would have legalized de facto infanticide. When asked prior to the vote if her bill would allow the slaughter of a full-term baby during its mother's labor, she was forced to publicly admit that it would. If it had passed, full-term healthy babies could have been slaughtered for any reason that a murderous doctor deemed a threat to a mother's mental health. Just wondering, shouldn't this be a hate crime? Wikipedia defines a hate crime as one in which a perpetrator targets a victim because of his or her membership in a certain social group. Doesn't the premeditated direct killing of humans based on their age fit that definition? Kathy Tran's morally transgressive and repugnant bill removed the requirement that abortion is permitted if continuation of the pregnancy is likely to substantially and irremediably impair the mental health of a woman. She removed the words substantially and irremediably. This means that a mother could have her full-term child aborted if she says it would only insubstantially and remediably impair her mental health. And y'all know what that means. It means that Virginia would have followed Alaska, Colorado, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon, and Vermont, where women can have their full-term babies killed for no reason, in legalizing de facto infanticide. And as I wrote several days ago, 24 other states permit the active intentional killing of full-term babies for mental health reasons, which include emotional, psychological, and familial considerations. In other words, for any reason. What trans removal of the words substantially and irremediably did was make it glaringly obvious that mental health is a deceitful rhetorical pretext to conceal that abortion of full-term healthy humans is legal. When asked about this barbaric law, Democratic Governor Ralph Northam employed some tricksy rhetoric to try to persuade listeners that de facto infanticide of full-term babies is justified if they're defective. And he said, when we talk about third trimester abortions, it's done in cases where there may be severe deformities. There may be a fetus which is non-viable. So if the mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly what would happen. The infant would be delivered. The infant would be kept comfortable. The infant would be resuscitated if this is what the mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physician and the mother, end quote. First, who calls a full-term baby a fetus? Interestingly, in the next sentence, he inadvertently acknowledged multiple times the truth that the full-term fetus is actually an infant. Second, an infant that may or may not be resuscitated would be a dead infant, which raises some questions. How did this fetus-slash-infant in Northam's sanitized hypothetical come to be dead? Was Northam alluding to the natural death of an infant born with a condition incompatible with life? Or was he also referring to an infant whose death was caused during labor by a Dr. Mengele wannabe? If full-term babies can be killed because of severe deformities or terminal conditions one day prior to their birth day, why shouldn't full-term babies with severe deformities or terminal conditions be killed post-birth, also known euphemistically as after-birth abortion? 
Tran, and Northam seek to implement legislatively what philosopher Michael Tooley, Princeton University bioethicist Peter Singer, and eugenicists everywhere advocate. They advocate for the legal right of some humans, let's call them superhumans, to decide which humans have a right to live and which, because of their defects, have no such right. Let's call the latter group the Expendables. Thule wrote this in 1972 in an article titled Abortion and Infanticide, and I quote, An organism possesses a serious right to life only if it possesses the concept of a self as a continuing subject of experiences and other mental states, and believes that it is itself such a continuing entity. If this view of the matter is roughly correct, there are two worries one is left with at the level of practical moral decisions, one of which may turn out to be deeply disturbing. The lesser worry is where the line is to be drawn in the case of infanticide. The practical moral problem can thus be satisfactorily handled by choosing some period of time, such as a week after birth, as the interval during which infanticide will be permitted. This interval could then be modified once psychologists have established the point at which a human organism comes to believe that it is a continuing subject of experiences and other mental states. End quote. Through some tortured reasoning about the ethics of torturing kittens, Thule concludes that it is not membership in the species Homo sapiens that determines the right to life, but rather self-conceptualization as a continuing subject of experiences in other mental states and a belief that one is such a continuing entity that confers on humans a right to live. Therefore, neither newborns nor humans in the womb, or as Thule calls them, parasites, enjoy that right. As I have written, Peter Singer wants to extend killing rights 30 days postnatally to allow parents to ascertain the health status of their conditionally wanted children. After all, some imperfect humans may have escaped all the currently available tests for determining human perfection and therefore wantedness. The infamous Singer himself acknowledges in his book Practical Ethics that we have already started down the unctuous slope. And I quote, I do not deny that if one accepts abortion on the grounds provided in Chapter 6, the case for killing other human beings in certain circumstances is strong. As I shall try to show, this is not something to be regarded with horror. Once we abandon those doctrines about the sanctity of human life that collapse as soon as they are questioned, it is the refusal to accept killing that in some cases is horrific." End quote. More recently, in 2011, two philosophers at the University of Melbourne, Alberto Giubilini and Francesca Minerva, published a paper in which they advocated for afterbirth abortion. And I quote them, We argue that, when circumstances occur after birth, such that they would have justified abortion, what we call afterbirth abortion should be permissible, end quote. In the social justice paradigm that rules society now and that divides society into oppressors and oppressed, who are the oppressors, the superhumans or the expendables? We are fast returning to paganism, from pagan sexuality to child sacrifice. Is there a moral difference between sacrificing babies to imaginary gods and sacrificing babies to the god of self?